podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Congress. Three, two. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today we are recapping a not-so-great weekend for the Kansas football Jayhawks, but we do have some other stuff going on as well that uh, at least helped to soften the blow a little bit. Yes, the Kansas Jayhawks lost 16-13 to to the Texas Tech Red Raiders in a game that I think can only be described as a uh, a disappointment. Lots of stuff happened. Injuries. Um, not much else. Well, I'm sorry. Nothing really good went on for the team, but there were still some good stuff to take a look at. So to help me do all of that like he normally does, it is my co-host, my deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising, Kyle Davis. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm all right. Just all right, sure. man. No, I was going to say, I, I, I normally you have a little bit more to say, but... Uh, I do. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna get there. I'm saving it all for when we talk about this game, because... Um, I mean, let's just dive yeah. right into it, because... How, how about this? I'm a, I'm a little sleepy, kind of like Kansas was yesterday. How, is that maybe a little more apt, I think? Yeah, I that, made a that, comment, because, you know, there were some issues with me getting out there, and so I actually walked into uh, the building probably about 20 minutes before the game kicked off, and so the, the live blog was up a little bit late and uh, I made the comment, you know, I wasn't the only one who showed up to the game late because the Jayhawks looked not so great in the first, in, you know, the first drive, both defensively um, and then often, or I'm sorry, offensively and then defensively after that. So, um, I mean, it was a, it was a, a very rough start for the team. You know, it looked like Texas tech was going to run kind of like BJ Robinson. Uh, was it BJ Robinson? I'm trying to think anyway. Um, Bijan, Bijan, Bijan Robinson. I, I was like, BJ does not, yeah. Bijan Robinson ran all over them again, um, you know, for Texas the year before. It looked like it was going to be that kind of game, which I was extremely worried about, you know, <laughs> potentially at that point. Um, Kansas obviously buckled it down for the second half, but I mean, in that first half, what was it that you saw that made you think or that might explain what was going on with this team? This was me against my children on a Saturday morning where they are up and ready to go and fired up. doesn't matter that it's seven 30 and I wish I was still asleep and sluggish and needing coffee. And that's what it looked like for this game. Texas tech was ready to go and Kansas looked like it had zero interest in being there. It looked like there was no game plan. Um, it, it was, I, you got it. You, you give, you give Brian Borland especially credit for making adjustments and really, you know, battening it down the second half. But like, if you read our preview for this, it was uh, Taj Brooks is already a thousand yard rusher. He's by far their most explosive player. You have to stop him. <clears throat> and it's that out of the Texas Tech defense, it is the defensive line uh, that is the the one that is like the most disruptive and kind of sets the tone. And in the first part, I mean, Brooks ran all over. They gave him over and over again. He had 70 yards in the first 11 minutes of the game, which is just ridiculous. Um, Which, again, if you're the Kansas defense, like, he is who you stop. You game plan around. You do what Iowa State did against uh, Kansas last week, which is you stack the box and make Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshawn not beat you. And then on the other end of it, it was somehow a four-man rush getting pressure on Jason Bean on third down consecutive drives, making him roll out and scramble and then either throw it away or an incomplete pass. And it just looked like, looked like the offensive line wasn't awake. The play calling was 
pretty vanilla and you know the two stalled out runs which i get if, if that's more maybe the execution because if the runs get you four or five yards then you have a completely different call on on third down and again four men rushes were getting to bean on on those third downs and then on the defense it's just is texas tech was just perfectly fine running it every single play because what else like kansas wasn't showing that it could do anything to stop them now again granted adjustments were made you know brooks had what hit 70 yards in the first uh, 11 minutes and then he had 63 yards the whole rest of the game so credit to kansas now they also he was already nearing 20 catches or um reps at that point uh because they had given it in the first half they just gave it over and over so you knew he wasn't going to be able to sustain you know 45 carries for the game or anything like that so you knew they were gonna have to go away from him for a bit but it it was a lackluster effort that then got substantially worse because of injuries to key people and obviously jason bean but also luke Grimm and mason fairchild got took a hit and you know there's there was um a couple of bad pass interference by kobe bryant in there that it's just it it looked like their heads were not in there until uh until probably you could argue for the defense midway through the second quarter you could argue for the offense maybe midway through the third quarter and then by that point there were so many injuries to overcome that it just wasn't enough it's weird because kind of like you said you know the fact that that uh Posh Brooks had 70 yards in the first 11 minutes like it would be different if that was like you know a 60 yard run like he just broke one and got a ton of yards no this was I think he had 70 yards on like 17 carries so it's not even like he had huge runs he just consistently was getting you know three four five yards a pop and just running all over the Kansas defense um I I I will say it definitely seemed like Jason Bean was um affected by the knee injury that he you know had picked up and like I, I know that they had said it wasn't super serious but he was limping a little bit and of course it didn't help that he got his leg bent underneath him again um, I think it was, or actually, no, I'm sorry. It was the other knee this time that his leg got pinned underneath him. So he's got, you know, he's had some, uh, some, some issues there, but they did say that was a head injury for him in the first half. Um, and then he just wasn't able to keep going. I, I'm hoping that it is not a case where it's like a concussion that he's out for multiple weeks, but I guess we'll see. Um, we'll get some updates later this week on that. But, um, you know, I think my biggest problem was the play calling in the first half because, the 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 defense seemed to be out of like they knew exactly what was coming and yet they never seemed to have enough guys in the box to handle Taj Brooks. It's not like they were running to the outside a whole bunch. They maybe ran off a little bit off tackle, but Kansas was only you know was only showing like six or seven guys in the box and they were they were covering or double covering receivers on the outside when you knew for sure there was no way that they were gonna throw that ball. Like, he literally was just turning around and giving it to Taj Brooks, and that was it. Like, there wasn't a fake. There wasn't anything. And, and the announcers so, were even making jokes. So, I know you right. were there. The announcers were making jokes about how, like, oh, I guess we, I, we know what's coming up next. Like, it, it was yeah. just so blatantly obvious to everyone involved it's, what it's, was going to It's funny because I, I usually turn on the ESPN or the – like, I turn on the stream when I'm up there in the press box so I can, like, look at replays. Because normally it's it's – Set up just perfectly that I'm about a play and a half behind. So if something happens and I want to go back and take a look at it, it's pulling up or it's showing it on the broadcast immediately when I'm ready to go look at it. But um, yeah, so I was hearing all those jokes and everything. It, you're right. It was ridiculous. Everybody knew it was happening. Um, I do think offensively, though, I was very up or concerned about the fact that you kept running Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw right into the middle of that offensive line. 
And I realize that there's an offensive line that's been able to get some holes. But drive one, two, you know, runs immediately up through the middle of the offense of the offensive line gets stopped really short. Drive two, two runs immediately right up the middle of the offensive line gets stopped short. You have another third down and long and Jason Bean's trying to throw for it. Kansas consistently put themselves into bad situations in that first half offensively because they ran into the strength of a defense thinking that they could just outperform them. Texas Tech is one of those teams where if they can focus on what they do well, they do it extremely well, and they do it much better than you might expect. If you can get them kind of out of that comfort zone and thinking about other things, that's when you can be successful doing what you like to do bread and butter wise. And and it just didn't, you know, they, they didn't set anything up the way that you would have expected it. I think once Cole Ballard came in, they kind of had to, you know, do something non-traditional. They had to throw everything out the window and figure out what it was that they wanted to do. Uh, you know, but even in that sec, you know, even in that third quarter, like the question was, what is Kansas going to be able to do? Like I had said, Kansas needs to score before the end of the third quarter. Like they need a touchdown before the end of the third quarter for you to even feel like they had a chance to, you know, to do anything in that game. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Kansas didn't score until the beginning of the fourth quarter when uh, Devin Neal kicked or, you know, had that gigantic run. And then all of a sudden the floodgates opened. Yeah. And I, and to your point about the play calling too, I think the arguably you could, uh, you could probably say the biggest stretch of the game is OJ Burroughs gets the interception down at the, you know, two yard line or, or one yard line, whatever it is, keeps, keeps tech out of the end zone that that was big. But then, you know, Cole Ballard leads them on a, it was an it was a eighteen play ninety three yard drive and you get zero points right out you, of it. into your yeah. into your point about the play calling it's on third and fourth and short you give it to Daniel Highshaw Shaw who is a bus and again I'm not going to I am I I secede any expertise on offensive schemes and play calling to the to the professionals I do not pretend to say that I know what I'm doing more than any quarterback in a staff but. It, it's one of those things where you, you watch enough football and you just ask yourself your question. Like if it's third and one and you got have a guy as powerful as Daniel Highshaw, why are you snapping it in the shotgun and making him gain seven yards instead of putting him maybe a direct snap under center and just letting his giant legs and body just push forward and get that ball. Now, again, to your point, you're kind of running right into the, to the defense, but all you have two chances to get just one yard. And just that's where it goes back to the play calling. It's one of those things where we see the tush push all the time. It's not successful right. all the time, but if you got a guy like Daniel Highshaw, that dude doesn't need. Well, and that's the other thing too, to like going, it's not even, it's not like if you're going to do the tush push, you know, have Cole Ballard be the one that actually runs it. Have Daniel Highshaw come up behind him and just shove people. Like, like you have snap. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. The, from I mean, either way, but you have plenty of you have plenty of options there that you easily could have pushed that one through, and or even if you just get the three points there, like that would have been huge for them to have those three points at that point, because then you're going down and scoring and taking the lead, and Texas Tech is trying to drive to be able to go ahead and and actually uh, kick that field goal to, head, to send it to overtime. I also don't understand some of the clock management issues, and I know that you know we we didn't get an opportunity to to ask Lance Leipold in the, in the press conference afterwards about that clock management. I know that there's a lot of people that wanted us to, but um, just the way that conversation was going, the way that they were talking, the way that he took, you know, accountability for like, Hey, we didn't do what we needed to do. And he didn't talk specifically about that, but it was pretty clear that if we had asked him, he would have just said, Hey, yeah, yeah, look, we messed up. Like we didn't do that. Right. 
And so I don't think there would have been anything like we wouldn't have gotten any grand insights by asking him, like, why did they call the timeout there with like 45 seconds left and give tech time to get down there? Um, you know, it's just Kansas, Kansas struggled in this game. You could tell they seemed lethargic. You could tell, but I mean, the injuries had a huge deal to do with that. Luke Grimm is a huge part of this offense. And the fact that he took that hit, you know, um, you know, they, they ended up calling it a pass interference. Didn't, you know, picked up the targeting on it. Um, but he did not come back to the game after that. Like he, he, at first it looked like he got the wind knocked out of him, but he was down on the sideline stuff went on, you know, the game kept going because he was off of the field, but he never came back to the game that had a huge impact on what they were able to do. I got to be honest. It looked like Tanaka Scott kind of took over his spot and he had three crucial drops during all of that. That are things that Luke Grimm normally pulls down. So again, I, you know, I think that Tanaka Scott, as he gets used to being in that role, if Grimm's not able to go this week, he'll be able to perform better. He'll probably catch more of those balls, but it's a really rough position to be in. You have a third string, true freshman, walk-on quarterback in Cole Ballard, who is trying to run this offense, and he doesn't have the guys that he needs to kind of help, you know, ease him into it. So, um, you know, Texas Tech was flying around and making a lot of big hits, too. The one that they didn't review for targeting that I thought they should have was the Marysen Fairchild hit, not long after Luke Grimm. Uh, went out it was like three or four plays later yeah yeah yeah. it was was like it was yeah it was the same drive it was just a few plays later and he smacked him right in the helmet as Fairchild was catching it now luckily Fairchild held on to it and he was able to come back later in the game and he didn't seem to have any ill effects from it but that was like textbook we're gonna look at this for targeting and they didn't even review it um I'm not blaming refs like you know obviously Kansas made tons of bad plays here the refs were pretty good actually for most of the game they had some you know and and if you're going to complain about it i honestly think that they they probably um you know they 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 probably benefited kansas a decent amount more than texas tech um kansas got away late with a offensive pass interception or pass pass interference on um jared casey in the end zone as devin neal was trying to loft it over to him which that's another play calling issue um texas tech got away with one at the end on that huge you know that, that huge throw down to the like seven yard line or whatever. Um, but it wasn't as egregious as what Jared Casey did. And, you know, at worst case, it's a makeup for that, for that other one, because, you know, Kansas, Devin Neal's pass should have been picked. Like when, when he was throwing that, it was that bad. Um, and so I'm not really complaining too much about the officiating there, but like, you know, there was just, it was too much too. uh, they were, they seemed to be too lethargic early, and then when they finally picked it up, they just weren't able to string everything together. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you had a third-string quarterback in there, which, of course, brings us to actually talking about Cole Ballard because, you know, yes, it's not the great circumstances that you want to kind of throw a guy like that in, but the fact that he was able to come in and perform as well as he did, you know, true freshman, walk-on quarterback that, like, took the job from, you know, three other people, forced a guy, you know, one guy transferred, um, Ethan Vasco transferred because Cole Ballard won that third string job. Like he had a really good debut and we talked with him afterwards and kind of talked about what it was that allowed him to come in and, you know, kind of have, have that. And he was talking about Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean and the way they were kind of coaching him up and doing all those things, giving him all the pointers. But the fact that, you know, Lance Leipold talked afterwards and I think, uh, well, like Devin Neal, Rich Miller, a few of the other guys were, were talking as well. And they talked about how, Cole Ballard's one of those guys that just is super successful in practice. Like they do the two minute drills and I believe it was Rich Miller who said 
he's like the only guy, right? Like when he's in there running the two minute drill, they always score. Or if not always, like almost every single time he performs really well in practice. He, he puts in a lot of the work for it. And so it was great to see him get that opportunity. I just wish it didn't come in an injury situation. Um, but I mean, anything from his performance that really stood out to you? I mean, you, you, you saw it. I think the, the last two minutes of the game, like he used his legs when he needed to, he scrambled for a first down, you know, they even tried to do the direct snap to, or, uh, like a, a designed run right up the middle with him. He, you know, stood in the pocket. There's, there's one or two times where, you know, some of those, I, I remember one sack in particular where it was just at the freshman learning curve where he just holds onto the ball way too long. You got to get rid of it. But like, he was pretty poised, you know, he finds, he finds Skinner. There's a big third and two. He hits Skinner again uh, to get down to the 30. You know, he, uh, I don't think you can ask for much more, especially considering he was losing receivers left and right. Like it's one thing to put in a true freshman third stringer and say, okay, you've got Luke Grimm as your third down kind of security blanket. If you need five yards or you've got Mason Fairchild over the middle or whatever it is, they were getting knocked out left and right too. So then, you know, and this is, you know, no disrespect to him, but now you're throwing to, um, like you mentioned, Tanaka Scott, who had some some trouble with holding onto the ball, and and Doug Million and, and Tory Lachlan made a nice catch there, and so, uh, you know, this isn't this isn't on obviously Ballard. He gave them a chance to win the game, and that's all you can ask for. He got them down there to tie the game with 26 seconds left. At that point, it's on your defense to force it to overtime, and they couldn't get it done. Uh, but like you look at the game. As, as lopsided as maybe it, as it felt at the time, especially Kansas had more yards than Texas Tech did in this game, which is pretty incredible. They only had three fewer first downs than Texas Tech did. Uh, that wasn't all because of Jason Bean out there. Now, you know, he got out, he got knocked out early enough, but that was a lot of that came with Ballard. And I think uh, that's one of those ones where, especially as a true freshman, like there is no, you mentioned the two minute drills and practice and all that, like that all is great, but none of it you really know until you actually get out there and experience it in a live game setting. And as and to your point with Texas tech guys flying around the ball and everything else. And, you know, his numbers aren't great by any means. Uh, there was a couple of passes and I think he probably wanted back, but all things considered, he put Kansas in a chance to go to overtime and potentially win the game. And I think that's all you can ask for him. Now that, yeah, the, the good thing is, is, um, you know, obviously if Jason Bean can't go against Kansas State, then that puts KU in a bind. But at least you know that he's probably going to get more reps than practice this week and they can just kind of scheme around him a little bit more. And that's like we talked about in the, at the, after the Texas game, right? Like it's, it's really hard when Jalen Daniels, you think he's going to go all week. And then in the last second, you, you, you know, Jason Bean, all right, it's yours. Go throw yourself in there. You know, Cole Ballard is, you know, he can, he can do whatever he wants as the backup and kind of get ready and reps and all that sort of thing. But it's completely different when it's the second quarter and, and they're like, all right, you're in, go get him, young guy. Uh, and so, you know, this is one of those things where if, if you look at where, you know, Go back and, and watch some tape from some of those uh, Jalen Daniels games as a freshman. Like, there were some really great glimpses, and there were some oof plays. And I think Cole Ballard showed you those glimpses that, man, you, you can have a pretty good guy in a couple of years. And he did enough, you could say, to, to try and get you a W in this situation when no one thought at halftime that a W was happening. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, he, he set himself up to be the backup for the Jayhawks, you know, for the next four years because – 
Kansas is bringing in some pretty good QB recruits. In fact, one of them was on hand for this game to actually watch what they were able to do. And, and you know, even if even in the loss and even with the struggles that the offense had, like to be able to see the way that they were able to scheme around Cole Ballard, like that's got to give you confidence as a as a good quarterback recruit that they're going to be able to do something with you. Um, overall, I would say it was a fairly impressive performance for Cole Ballard, but it's not as impressive as the lineup from our sponsor here on the podcast. That is the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a Kansas City-based company that has collegiate vintage apparel and they want you to be the best dressed college fan this season. Um, they have all kinds of fantastic stuff. Kansas, Kansas State, all the other Big 12 schools except for Cincinnati. Um, but the lineup of clothing is absolutely fantastic. And it's getting colder, so you can pick up one of their great hoodies um, or, you know, the bomber jackets or any of the other things that they have there. If you go over to charliehustle.com, use promo code 101215. That's T-E-N-1215. You can get 15% off of all non-sale items. And they keep adding new stuff all the time. Look, I am a KU guy through and through, but they have so many different great things for so many different schools that, you know, I am very, very tempted to go and just completely load up on a ton of great stuff for all of the holiday, you know, shopping that I need to be doing. So again, promo code 101215, that is not a one-time code. That is an all-the-time code, meaning that you can go and get stuff for you now. You can go get stuff for people on your Christmas list later, all those sport fans, um, but Tons of great stuff there. Make sure you go check it out. Charlie Hustle, Vintage Made Fresh. All right. The other thing that was also impressive, I thought, honestly, was the second half defensive effort. Um, you actually look, you know, with how much Taj Brooks got in that first half. Second half, especially the fourth quarter, Kansas held Texas Tech to negative one rushing yards in the fourth quarter, um, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, consider and they only had 22 yards. No, I'm sorry. They had 23 yards in the third quarter negative one rushing yards in the fourth quarter. So to give up over a hundred yards to Taj Brooks, you know, in that first quarter or in, in that first half, and then basically hold them to nothing the rest of the game. I thought that was extremely impressive. Um, obviously you would like to have it for the entire game, but the way that they were able to kind of clamp down and the way that they were able to, um, you know, really on, on the Kansas side, you had a ton of different players that were getting in there. You had Melo Dotson get a sack. You had, Rich Miller get a sack, you know, Austin Booker was in on a sack as well. So you had a bunch of guys that were getting in the backfield and causing havoc in that second half there. OJ Burrows, you know, getting that interception, uh finally happening. You know, he had a he had one pretty early that he almost got, and then he finally pulled one down, like you said, to kind of stop a Texas Tech scoring drive. Um, I believe that was actually right before the half. So um, but uh, you know, I thought the defense did a really good job, especially, you know, anytime you hold a team to 16 points defensively with the kind of weapons that Texas Tech has, you have to feel really good about the defensive performance. Yeah, again, the, the you can talk about the slow start and not feeling like they came in awake or prepared or whatnot, but there were some good adjustments that were made throughout the game, and, and that really changed them. They made... You know, like uh, Morton's line was not great in that game. And, and especially if you look at, you know, only really, I guess you could say that um, uh, Jaron Bradley was really the only receiver that, that got you. You know, he was the only receiver that had uh, 30 yards or more. He had 91 on four catches and a lot. And a big chunk of that was in the last 26 seconds of the game, unfortunately, where Morton finds him and gets him down into the 10. But yeah, the this was a... Um, there was a different um, scheme adjustment and added just overall effort 
level, just the guys flying around a little bit more. And you're right, there was a couple on there where, you know, they were targeting Kobe Bryant a little bit more. He made a couple of plays. There's one of them that I thought the pass interference was questionable. One of them was probably pretty, you know, yeah, the there right was, call. But, there was one blatant and one that was extremely questionable. So Yeah, uh, but Austin Booker, you know, the forced fumble was, a, was you know, he continues to just be an amazing pickup for the defense uh, and continues to look good. And so, yeah, this one, you know, I, I also don't think you can undersell arguably one of the big plays of the game was Kenny Logan with that hit on third and eight uh, to, to force the incomplete pass to then give Kansas the ball back. And that was just, that's what, that is just a vintage Kenny Logan play. And so, yeah, it was, I think it was, it was a combination of scheme and also just execution and effort there where it seemed like guys woke up a little bit and were, were taking it personally. And they, they kept, you know, they kept the Jayhawks in the game. Texas tech got the ball to sec- the start of the second half. They were, were pitching a shutout at the time. Like it, it, we could have been looking at this where third quarter starts and it's more of the same. And then this thing turns ugly fast and forcing multiple punts right off the bat. I mean, the, this was the defense who kept the game close throughout the whole way. Now, you know, you want the last 26 seconds back, but uh, up until that point, they uh, probably played, it's weird to say in a loss as well as they had for probably maybe a 25 to 30 minute stretch of game time than they had all year. Yeah, I mean, Lance Leipold talked about it afterwards, talking about how, you know, even last year, like going down 13 to nothing, or sorry, 10 to nothing at the half. And normally, like after the first quarter, when you go down 10 nothing, like normally by halftime, that would have doubled or tripled. You know, like this is a team that, that in the past had, when things start to go very poorly, they just snowball and they get even worse. And that didn't happen with this team. This team did absolutely everything that you would expect them to do to, to, to turn the tide, give the offense a chance. And, you know, the special teams even did their part here in this one, Seth Keller making both of the field goals that he took. Now, granted, it was helpful that the longest one was from 24 yards, but the fact that he was still able to hit them, you know, I think there was times where Kansas probably should have tried to get more of the field goals as opposed to trying to punch it in. But um, I think the defense did what they needed to do. The special teams did everything asked of them at that point. And unfortunately, it was just some un you know, unlucky uh, or um, injury luck and all that stuff that made it very difficult, I think, for the Jayhawks to go ahead and pull this out. But all right. Anything else about this uh, football game that you want to talk about that we need to share or or are you ready to jump over to something else? I say we jump. You you stole my thunder. I was going to say maybe the kicking game is fixed and that's a silver lining here. Um, it feels like every time we say the kicking game's fixed, it messes up horribly. So I'm going to say it's not fixed right. no, because not. we do it's... not need a horrible kicking game against uh, against Kansas State right. this weekend. So much, up. so much work to go. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's going to be very, very difficult for them to actually show that they're so much improved. So, no. All right, um, let's go ahead. We will jump over then um, to a couple of the other things happening over the weekend. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. And we're back. I'm here with Kyle Davis, deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising, and we are talking about the Kansas Jayhawk weekend for sports. Before we jump into basketball, because, um, you know, Kansas basketball, actually both men and women played recently, had some dominant performances, but uh, the Kansas women's volleyball team just got back um, third place in the conference right now. They are still pushing uh, to try to be able to host. They, unfortunately, were uh, had split two matches against the Iowa State Cyclones up in Ames um, over the weekend. The first one went to five sets, and in the fifth set, Kansas just got kind of run out of the building. They lost the tiebreaker set 15-3. to um, But on Saturday night, they, again, went to five sets after, you know, very, very similar games. But the fifth set in the second match went the Jayhawks' way. They got down a little bit early but battled back and were able to win that one going away. So um, a split for the Jayhawks. Iowa State's a pretty good team volleyball-wise, but Kansas is going to find out their fate here. I believe November 26th is, is the selection show for the NCAA tournament. Um, and so we will find out at that point in just a couple weeks, right after Thanksgiving, um, if Kansas will be hosting, if you guys, if if we'll all get a chance to see them again at home this year after the end of the the conference season or not, um, I do I do kind of wish that volleyball had a Big Twelve tournament like a conference tournament because that would be a lot of fun to have them all come together and you know just watch some great tournament action for some of these teams. But unfortunately, the conference doesn't do that. Maybe we can you know pitch the idea to Brett Yormark and say, hey, look, we all want to watch volleyball. Like, give us a tournament, please. Yeah, put it put it uh, somewhere. Put in Kansas City's great hosting Look, stuff. Put it in Kemper. Kansas City and just yeah. Put it Kemper put it at Kemper. Yeah. There we go. Right. Yeah. I, that I'm I'm all for. Uh, or I guess it's not uh, Kemper Arena anymore, isn't it? Like it was like bought out by some. I think right. Yeah, it was, Arena, but it, sure. it'll always. Be yeah, exactly. So, all right. Um. So let's go ahead and turn to basketball. Basketball, obviously, Kansas. Uh. The let's let's start with the women actually because the women played. Uh, the women played on Wednesday. They had a very good dominant win with, man, a ton of newcomers that all got involved. Um, you know, Kansas probably was as balanced as they've been in a really long time. Tiana Jackson, Holly Kurzgeeter, Wyvett Mayberry all you know, scored in double figures. You also, though, um, you know, you had some some other some other uh, players that, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily expecting to really kind of jump in there and, and show off what they can do. But um, what were your first impressions? First of all, did did you actually get to watch the game? And if so, what were your first impressions of this team? I did get to see most of it. Um, my first impression is, uh, man, the free balls are falling. When you when you can go 13 or no, 16 to 32, uh, you are – you were doing pretty well, and that's going to sure help. But <clears throat> yeah, you're right. I was I was interested to see how Smiley Nichols would look in her first game. It wasn't the best shooting game, uh, but it wasn't a bad start. But yeah, Jackson's dominant. Like we know, she's going to be. Uh, the five blocks were particularly impressive. And you're right. I think it was um, again take take what you will from an zero and two Northwestern State team but the 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 balance I think is what maybe stood out the most to me uh in there especially on the offensive end is that you 
you know, it, it doesn't look like you have to rely on one or two players every single night to, to get points on the board. I mean, it was really balanced in terms of not only shot selection, but then, you know, and obviously the output and, yeah, when you have Chris Kider and, and Mayberry shooting as well from three as they're going to, you know, that that's going to help. But it just seems like, you know, when you just even look at the the spacing and the the contribution at every level in the game from from your guards to your post play and all that sort of thing, it just it was it struck me as, you know, take the the hot three point shooting away from it. It it struck me as a very balanced offensive attack for Kansas, which is a good thing to see early, even if it's against lesser competition. Yeah, I mean, to to see them be able to take those kind of shots, and and you know, I think even the the thing that's even more impressive was the fact that Zakaya Franklin was having an off night and didn't really like she only scored six points. We know that she can score a whole lot more. She didn't play nearly, I think, as much as I was expecting um, in this game. I mean, she played twenty five minutes, which actually led the team. Um, but you know, it didn't seem like she was as involved in the offense. They weren't going to her quite as often, um, which was, I think, a that was more an, an artifact of the way that the game went as opposed to like a conscious decision, you know, to not go to her because she wasn't performing very well. She still was extremely involved and in doing a whole bunch. Um, I also honestly, though, was extremely impressed with the Alabama transfer, Ryan Cobbins, who scored scored 10 points in, in her debut for the Jayhawks. You know, she had nine rebounds, so she was just one rebound shy of a double-double. She was perfect from the line at five and five. She was very aggressive, got to the line a lot, did everything that you possibly would ask of her. I get the feeling that she's going to work her way to being potentially one of the first people off the bench. Um, I'm just excited to see what she's able to bring. You talked about Smy Nichols, but um, you know, I, I think a lot of that was jitters. You could tell before she made that first one, she was a little tentative to take the shots. Just being able to play in Allen Fieldhouse for the first time, you know, in an actual game, you know, that gets a lot of players. So I would, I'm not surprised if that was the case for her. But she's she uh, she kind of you know uh, settled in extremely quickly there and was a huge part of what this team is able to do. I was very impressed as well with Paris Gaines. Only played nine minutes, but was able to get five rebounds at that point. She ended up fouling out. So she's a very aggressive player, is in there, bringing that kind of spark that they need. Um, it was very interesting, too. You know, she she reminded me a lot of the way that, uh, um, you know, that well, really that a, a couple different players have played recently for the Jayhawks, but just her ability to play a bunch of different possessions or I'm sorry a bunch of different positions and do just a whole bunch of stuff so I was really impressed with the way that Kansas started this out and of course the defense wasn't anything you know to be um or the defense was was fairly impressive even given you know the idea of who the opponent was so I, I'm very excited about this team they have a a decent test coming up here on the road uh they will be playing against uh against Penn State here uh on Monday on Big Ten Network at 5 o'clock. So definitely tune in for that one. And then just, you know, a week after that, so right after Thanksgiving, they have that huge tournament uh, where they will be facing both Virginia Tech and UConn. So, you know, this is a, this is one that you definitely want to pay attention to. There is no broadcast information yet for those, but I'm imagining it's going to be on probably some sort of ESPN channel. I'm guessing probably ESPNU or something like that. But, um you know, this is going to be a great opportunity for the Jayhawks to kind of show what they can do against some of the top competition in the nation and get them set up for the year coming up. So, man, if 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 Kansas can go undefeated in conference play but until the last game again or even undefeated through conference play, that would be a gigantic accomplishment for this team. Um, but I think we're going to find out really quick what this team's made of and, and, wh and what they're actually able to do this year.
All right, let's turn to the men. Men played against Manhattan, and I'm going to be honest, my biggest takeaway from this game, I was very disappointed that they once again got to 99 points and were not able to get that last point for 100. Yeah, but fun fact, they're on pace to score 99 points in every single game they play this year, which would be pretty remarkable. That that would be awesome. You know, do that against Kentucky, and then we'll have something talking. Yeah. <laughs> no. They were so, so close, too. They had, they had uh, yeah, there, there was, you know, we had the, the Jankovic three got it to 95, and then uh, uh, Welty's basket got it to 99. They're so close. You know, there's just like everyone in the building is going nuts. You saw El Marco look over like, can we go for this? He takes the three. Uh, yeah, that would have just that would have brought down the field house. So for maybe the, the structural integrity of the building, maybe it's a good thing that it stayed at 99. Yeah, I mean, I was just but I think the the part that was the most disappointing about it was just the fact that you know, Kansas got to, they had five minutes left and they were at 88. So you're telling me that in five minutes they couldn't score 12 more points. Like that was the part that was disappointing. They had so much time to be able to do it and they just weren't able to pull it off. And I mean, you know what? It is the walk-ons. There's their walk-ons for a reason. Like it's not that, um, I guess outside the realm of what you would expect, but it was very disappointing that they, they didn't get it in the opener. They had an opportunity to get it in the second game, and they weren't able to get either one. But, I mean, this was still, you know, this was a fantastic game for the majority of the team. Um, you know, I man, looking here, though, like Kevin McCuller rates out as the MVP over on Ken Palm. Uh, you know, he had uh, 15 points. He had uh, seven rebounds. Let's see, a block and, and two steals, four assists. But I think I was honestly more impressed by the way that Marco Jackson played. Um, you know, Dewan Harris kind of struggled in this game. Um, you know, he only took one shot. Well, he took two shots. No, sorry. He took four shots because he, he actually took two twos and then two threes. Only made one shot, but he only had five assists, whereas Marco Jackson had ten assists on the game. Um, you know, who who was it that stood out to you in this game? Though? Like, obviously, Hunter Dickinson was great. He led the Jayhawks in scoring with 18. You know, um, and obviously Kevin McCullough was great, but you kind of expect that from those guys. Um, yeah. Who was it that really impressed you the most? Um, I'll give you El Marco if you're giving if you're getting El Marco, then I'll go with I'll go with uh, Johnny Furphy because I mean, come on, like the he's <clears throat> I think just because if you would say okay, we have this young Australian kid who should still be in high school right now, who uh, along with trying to adapt to you know, college level opponents is also trying to go through the culture shock of moving to America. And also, by the way, he's had shin splints. So uh, he has not been practicing nearly as much as everyone else on the team missed the, you know, the, some of the exhibition work. Uh, And, you know, all he does is score 15 points uh, and just look like he is, uh, he just knows what he's doing out there. He looks comfortable for the most part. If he's not comfortable, he doesn't really show it. A lot of comparisons are obviously being made between he and Spee. But, I mean, at least in my eyes, he is well above where Spee was as a freshman. I think if you're trying to compare him, you're comparing freshman Johnny Furphy with maybe sophomore junior Spee here. Um, It just looks like he has a little bit more of a complete game. Other than that, I was also really interested to see how Jamari McDowell did in in his debut. Now, this is a guy who's <clears throat> probably not going to get that much run, but also just because of the depth, like he might be one of those spark guys. And you could already see the way that he crashed the boards and was just kind of 
that high energy guy on there. I think it's something that is, is good to have as your maybe, you know, eighth or ninth player on the roster. And then we talked about it last time, like Parker Brown is just going to be a reliable backup center who can go up and grab alley-oops and can block shots and, and get you six to eight points in 14 minutes. Because, again, and we talked about this when, when Hunter Dickinson first came to Kansas and we're looking into it, and I broke this down in an article. You know, this is not a – Hunter Dickinson is not a guy who has, throughout his career, played – 35 to 37 minutes a game he has been in his best when he plays about 28 to 30 minutes a game which you means you have 12 minutes without him on the floor and I think to have a guy like Parker Brown who can play 10 to 12 minutes get you three baskets a couple rebounds on a block like that is pretty valuable uh especially when we get into you know Kentucky and all that sort of thing so out of the non-mainstays on this team, obviously, I think uh, obviously Furphy took all of the kind of accolade uh, and and the social media was going nuts. But I thought uh, McDowell looked pretty good for for his um, first game as well. And then I think Brown, we know what he's going to be, but it's nice to just see it again in the second, you know, back to back situations, just that reliability. Yeah, I mean, I think Kansas got the number one ranking based off of who their starting lineup is and how good that starting lineup can be. But whether they can maintain that and whether they can, you know, hit all the expectations for them this year is going to depend on the bench. I, I do think, though, Marco Jackson's performance was something that, like, really benefited the floor for this team because I think, especially, you know, after Arturo Morris left, was was dismissed from the team, um, the question was going to be who's that second ball handler going to be? Who's going to be the guy that if Dewan Harris is having an off night or if he gets into foul trouble or something happens, who can run the offense? I don't think anybody had stepped up, but seeing what El Marco Jackson did and the time, the amount of time that he spent actually running the offense in this game, I think gives you a lot of confidence that if he's called on to do it, he can do it. And oh, by the way, he can also do a whole bunch of other things like we saw in the first game where he, he was much more of a scorer um, as opposed to a, a facilitator, whereas this game he took on that facilitator role to kind of help pick up the slack where Dewan Harris was having a bit of an off night. Um but like you said, like Johnny Furphy, his performance is really good for the ceiling of this team because you need to have a guy like that, especially when, you know, Nick Nick Timberlake was having the trouble that he was having. Um, you know, he he went uh he went one of four from the field making only his two point shot. He had five defensive rebounds, but he had you know, three turnovers, three fouls. Like he just he seemed off a little bit as well. But to have a guy like Johnny Furphy step up and to kind of be that three point that three point threat, um, you know, high volume shooter that can still make a decent clip, I think is going to be super important. I, I will say though, I mean, I'm still super impressed with, you know, Hunter Dickinson, three point sharpshooter. He is at a hundred percent on the season so far. So, um, you know, I mean, gosh, I, if, if he keeps this up, it's going to be some sort of record. Well, yeah. And I think you, you look at the numbers he's putting up and he's, He's only averaging, he's only played an average of 22 minutes in, right. in these first two games. So it's like, yeah, between him, you know, if that's what we always talk about. Like he can, he can struggle or cannot look good or he doesn't have to play much. And all of a sudden you look at the box score and it's like, oh wait, no, he's still got, um, he's still got, I guess in this game, 21, seven, five and two. Like that's, you know, like his, his passing again, the, the KJ and and Dickinson's passing. Well, KJ is another guy we haven't talked about much, but um, you know he was the one setting the tone early with some big dunks. Just the 
the, honestly, the passing overall, we talked about this. Oh, wait, and, and sorry, I think I actually, uh, that was the NC Central game that I gave Hunter. Yeah, I was going to say, Hunter was on, on, on 20 but minutes. He was, he was 18, 18 points, 6 of 13 eight, from 2. two. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he, so, so he, he still was, had a great game. Right, but you see on here, like his, the the, I think that's one of those things too, that just the passing overall, we've seen just Kansas is a very good passing team and they make, the, the reason the, bas- the ball's going into the basket is, I don't think less because of maybe um, luck or some fool's gold, but more that they are giving themselves open shots because of their spacing and their passing, uh, which Marco contributed to that as well. And then, yeah, Kevin McCullough, now you are seeing is he's added this offensive element to an already very well-rounded game. His passing looks better as well. Uh, and he's someone who is going to put up a lot of uh, – put up a lot of big numbers, uh, just not even with scoring, but, you know, if he can do 15, 7, and 4 a night and get a couple steals, uh, he he's looking at a first-team All-Big 12 nomination as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We talked about how Jalen Wilson last year took the same jump that Ojai Abaji did the year before him. I think Kevin McCullough, at least so far, seems to have taken the same sort of jump. Now, whether he can sustain it as long as they did is a huge question, especially when you have a guy like Hunter Dickinson who's going to eat up a lot of minutes and a lot of possessions, but... I think he's he's taken that huge jump um, at least early. He is clearly one of the leaders of the team. Um, and, you know, kind of to your point, talking a little bit about K.J. Adams, though, Hunter Dickinson is going to be a high-volume shooter, and he is going to get a ton of points because of what he does and creates mismatches offensively. K.J. Adams, though, I think is that high-percentage shooter where if he's taking a shot, it's usually because he has a really good chance to make it. He was 7 of 8 in this game. Um, for 14 points, he doesn't take a lot of risky shots. A lot of his shots come off of great passes from other people. But KJ Adams is a guy who just has a he he comes off as a guy with a gigantic basketball IQ who is where he needs to be to take advantage of the opponent at the right time. Um, you know, hopefully he keeps that up. But I, I think the most impressive thing is that there are just so many different styles of play from all these different players, and they mesh so well. I don't know that I've seen a team that meshes this well this early. Now, granted, the games down in Puerto Rico probably helped quite a bit. Being able to play that game against Illinois, you know, as an exhibition as opposed to a secret, you know, a secret scrimmage probably helped a little bit with that cohesion there. But, um, you know, that was the big question coming into the year, right? Was like, is the bench going to be deep enough? And I think with the five that you have starting and then you add in, you know, all of the guys on the bench, Johnny Furphy, Nick Timberlake, Parker Brown, um, you know, and Jamari McDowell, like you add those four guys in and you have a really good nine deep rotation that I think is going to serve you extremely well because of all the different things that they could potentially do. Yeah. I think, and when you, I think at this level, when you see like, there were plenty of guys to come off the bench last year. It's just none of them were that reliable. Like I would much rather have eight and you kind of have to, to roll the dice with injury luck and foul trouble and whatnot, but have eight that you know are going to be, going to get you where you need to go 80% of the time versus having 10, but those bat last three or four, it's like, man, it's any given night, who knows what the heck we're going to get. So I think it's one of those things where you need a little bit of luck on your side, but as long as everything goes well, I think you look up and down the roster of the, of the scholarship players on there and you can feel pretty reliable about most of them. Yeah, I mean, I think in years past, the the what we've been so hopeful about is that there's so many players that could go off that it was like, oh man, one of them is going to go off, you know, and on any particular night, uh, which didn't always happen, but usually happened. Um, but 
I think this year it's different in that you don't necessarily have so many guys that can all do the same thing, but they have like here, it's not who's going to go off. It's which pieces are you going to bring together? That's going to work spectacularly tonight. Um, you don't have to wonder what you're getting from guys. You know what you're going to get from guys. It's just a matter of how do you, how do you put that puzzle together? Whereas, you know, with, with other teams, it was so much of a, this is what we want to do. Who's going to be the person that actually steps up and does it, which is much less of a, a great thing to, you know, or I should say it's much more assuring to know what people are going to be able to do and just have to figure out how to make it effective against your opponent. So, all right. Anything else about this game or do we want to start looking ahead to the week that is? Yeah, I think, I think the week ahead is going to be an interesting one. So let's do that. Yeah. So it's going to start with Penn state. We kind of talked about that. I think that's going to be a decent barometer, but um, Penn State against the Kansas women. Uh, I don't know that there's too much to talk about there because I honestly don't know that much about Penn State. Um, but jumping ahead to Tuesday when uh, Kansas takes on Kentucky in the Champions Classic, um, you know I am actually glad that they don't make this the opening game of the season because it gives you a chance to actually see what your team can do and actually gives us, I think, it's going to be a whole lot nicer for us to actually be able to pull something from this instead of just be, being the first tune-up. Yeah, agreed. I know now there's, uh, you know, as a college basketball fan, I wish that there were some, I wish that maybe they didn't start it on a Monday opposite Monday night football. And there were at least a couple of marquee games in there or something to entice you a bit. But yes, I think uh, this is one where it'll be interesting to see because um, it's, you, you have this team gelling a little bit. You have an opponent who's not at full strength. They've also, looked it, there's some good things to like about this Kentucky team so far but also they're you know you hope that you're catching them at a good time early in the year but yeah it's one of those things where as a fan overall I would love for the opening night of the season to be more of a celebration and a, and a buzzworthy thing where you've got you know some great teams in prime time um and maybe not but maybe you're not Kansas so that you're right you have those break-ins but yes it is nice to get some you know Kansas should be pretty rested. They didn't play their starters that much last two games. Like they, this is now kind of the season kind of starts on Tuesday night and you see what you really have now that you've got the barometer to at least let guys kind of get their feet wet. And now, now's the first real test and you see what you have here. Yeah. And let's be honest, like Kansas is not, uh, the schedule that they have is not going to be extremely forgiving. Um, you know, they have this game and then obviously the next week they start off the Maui Invitational, um, against Chaminade, which they always get to play Chaminade. Lucky them. Um, <laughs> no, I like, I, I understand why the, the people that put that tournament together want Chaminade to play, you know, the marquee team um, in their first game, because obviously that's like the best chance they're going to have to have actually be able to play a game like that. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we'll find out who the other two opponents are next week, but then they, you know, have, um, you know, after that, they have some, some pretty big games coming up. Uh, December 1st, they'll have Connecticut come in. You know, you have the game against Missouri at home. You have the game on the road against Indiana. Like, this is a fairly big non-conference schedule. Um, I made a comment in the, uh, you know, in the, in the post-game stuff about how it's not, or maybe it was in the predictions, but it's not very often that you see Kansas play three teams that are ranked 300 or higher in Ken Palm. Like, normally... Yeah. Kansas is playing, you know, teams in the low 200s, um, you know, the high 100s as their quote-unquote cupcake games, and they have a really, really good strength of schedule at the end of the year. I do think that part of this is intentional, and I think also part of it is just that 
maybe some of these teams that you thought were going to be good, um, you know, maybe aren't going to be quite as good. Or I think it's also though, like the whole RPI and the, or the net ranking, like it's a lot harder to game the system now, apparently, which is what Kansas used to do was identify a lot of people that would be really good for them in those. But regardless, like this is a game up in Chicago, you know, Tuesday night, ESPN, we're of course the late game again. So at eight 30 is when it kicks off or when it tips off and we'll see, I'm sorry, half an hour after the first game. So probably more like nine o'clock knowing probably the way not. that these games yeah. go. Um, so it'll be another late night. It'll be so much fun, but I am looking forward to this game. Can, is there anything about Kentucky that scares you or anything that you think that fans should be prepared for with this Kentucky team? Or have you not had a chance to really look at him yet? Um, no, there, I was diving into him actually today a little bit too. It's interesting because they, they have not started out well, and then they kind of put the gats on. But their their first two games have been the opposite of Kansas. So they only played outside of the final minute of the game in, in game one. They only played eight players, and all their starters averaged, you know, 35 minutes basically. And then even in this game where they kind of struggled a little bit against Texas A&M Commerce, it, they only played seven. Now, part of that is because their two big men are still hurt. And Aaron Bradshaw is a 7-1 freshman who is very highly talented. He's out with a foot injury. Uh, there's also another injury to an, another 7-1 player, a sophomore. And I'm going to butcher his name. I'm sorry, but... Um, are you really it's, sorry, it's, though? Uh, <laughs> Ugana Onyenzo. Actually, I think I nailed it. Ugana Onyenzo <laughs> is, yeah, is, is also in there. So... When you look at Kentucky, the first thing you notice, one, they're not very deep right now because they're missing a couple pieces. And two, they're not very big right now. And the team that was the number one team in offensive rebounding percentage a year ago is 208th through two games. And a lot of that is because they don't have their big man in the center. And when you look at their players, uh, you know, Justin Edwards is 6'8", Trey Mitchell is 6'9". Jordan Burks has played about 15 minutes a game. He's 6'8", and that's it. Uh, So... There is very much a height uh, disparity and uh, a presence down low for Hunter Dickinson against Kentucky because Aaron Bradshaw uh, is not there. The thing, though, that that Kentucky has done well so far is they don't turn the ball over. Now, again, two two worst teams, but they have the number one steal uh, like steal percentage in terms of not giving up steals, allowing steals, and also the number two turnover percentage in the country. So. That's the thing that I would that I think from a Kansas perspective through two games you would like to clean up. Now you know that the, Kansas is just going to have more turnovers because Kentucky plays slow, Kansas plays fast. They want to get out and run. They pass the ball a lot. You're going to see a little more um, uh, errant passes and just things happen in that regard. Because that's the other thing is that Kentucky so far this year has not been a great passing team in terms of assist. It's been I think a lot of kind of like me against you, you know, whether it's, okay, this, you know, this time it's Justin Edwards, this time it's DJ Wagner, whoever it may be. There's obviously a lot of talent, but I think not having Aaron Bradshaw uh, is going to be a big boost for Kansas. And then Kentucky is not deep right now either. So this is going to be one of those things where someone in early foul trouble could, could really make a statement here. Um, DJ Wagner does look good. He hasn't been necessarily um, effective yet. Kentucky, the one thing you, I guess, also notice is that I think especially behind Antonio Reeves is they're a little bit better three-point shooting team this year than they are last year, or at least they're, you know, they're hovering around their, their north of 30%, but they're taking more threes. So I think, again, because they don't have that inside presence, they're now forced to kind of play on the perimeter a little bit more 
which also means they are not getting to the free throw line very well. So I think this is an interesting matchup for Kansas in a lot of ways because you, in the past, it's always been, okay, Kentucky's got the, the Giants down low and they're all long and they're all 6'11 with freakish athleticism. That's not the case. Actually, now Kansas is kind of the 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 taller, lengthier team. Even when you They're look the at the gold standard for know, that this year, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Right. Like even you know, like Rob Dillingham is 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 very good. But, you know, he's six three. Reed Shepard six three. DJ Wagner six four. Um, even you know now Antonio Reeves is six six. But okay, you like Kevin McCullough matches up on him. You look at kind of the the just the size overall, and it's much more evenly matched than it has been in the past. And so. Yeah, that's something to look at. And Kentucky, I'm, I'm curious. They've, they've just not started games well against bad competition, and then they kind of put their foot down. But it's also just interesting to me that, that John Calipari, you know, even in that 40-point win, because, again, it was ugly at the start, um, he only played eight guys outside of getting his walk-ons on for the last minute, even when you're up by 40. So there's, yeah. he clearly thinks they need to work on some stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, this, this is a team that, um, you know, to your point, they don't get a lot of assists. They're ranked 225th in, in assist percentage. And then they give up a lot of assists. So, you know, teams are, that pass the ball really well are making it, you know, are are actually be able to be fairly effective. That's how a lot of teams are able to get some good shots. So I'll be interested to see how much Kansas takes advantage of that. Um, but, yeah, I guess we're going to go ahead and find that out. Uh, we will. I'm not going to go ahead and do any kind of a Kansas State preview just because we will be doing a – a full preview and my dog is getting a little upset with how long this podcast is going. So we're going to go ahead and cut it off here. But uh, so, so that is going to do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, which Apple podcasts, Spotify, any of the million apps that are out there. Just search for rock chalk podcasting, subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you, so if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are, of course, part of the 10 Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, uh, including the new ones coming in. Go to 1012network.com to get links to all the great shows we have. And, of course, support us over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash 1012network. I had a basketball article that went up last week that uh, is absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend that you take a look at that based off of what Kelvin Sampson said in Big Toe Media Days. But that is going to do it for us today. Make sure you guys visit our sponsors, Prize Picks and Charlie Hustle. Uh, great deals there with them. But thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network.